few things are as difficult as saying true things in a way that make them sound true. David McCullough, his history. I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, and this episode of Right Angle is brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. Gentlemen, David McCullough, the historian who brought us books about John Adams and Harry Truman and the Wright brothers and the pioneers and the great Brooklyn Bridge, passed away Sunday at the age of 89 at his home. He is probably among contemporary historians the best known. Um, specifically, uh, many people would know him from his book, 1776, as well as his work on John Adams. Um, but what struck me about reading his obituary, Stephen Green, was a little comment that uh, they inserted about how other historians or some figures in contemporary academia view David McCullough. And uh, Steve, Basically, they complained that he tended to write books about uh, historical figures that he admired and that he de-emphasized the negative aspects of those figures, um, essentially painting a rosier picture than, than some people thought that they would do. Um, Steve, is this tendency on David McCullough's part, something that is um, shielding us from the hard truths that sh- that we should come to understand about these uh, these men of clay feet, as they say in the scriptures? Uh, first, I'd just like to say that uh, I think I've only read two of McCullough's books, uh, 1776 and the, uh, uh, I think it was his Truman biography, mostly because I just, as much history as I read, I don't read a whole lot of biographies. Uh, that said, he was just a, from the two that I did read, just a really marvelous writer. And uh, I'll get in a moment to why I'm, I think we should really mark his passing. I just I'd also like to say that when I heard that he was 89 on Sunday when he died, I couldn't have told you whether he was 60 or 120 just because uh, having grown up in bookstores and spent a lot of my adult life in bookstores, his books were always on the shelf. And it's it's yeah. just almost impossible to imagine that there's not going to be another McCullough book coming out sometime around the corner. That uh, I don't think I'm ready to process that quite yet. Um, as far as Feet of Clay, I'm just going to kind of dismiss that. We know that already. That is a part of the human condition. Um, I, I, you know, I don't expect a biography of somebody to just completely ignore their their bad traits. But this idea that a biography has to be muckraking to be legitimate is not a legitimate premise as far as I'm concerned. I don't mean it ha- every biography has to be a hagiography and just completely celebrate the perfect life of this noble creature who we are not worthy of. No. But don't drag everybody through the mud either. Uh, That said, the reason why his passing is such a great loss is I think popular historians, I'm not talking about the academic historians, popular historians, the guys you see on the shelves at at Barnes and Nobles, uh, serve a very important function. In fact, I think their their function is kind of similar to and just as important as a a great novelist. A a great novelist can show you through fiction what what could be, what can be, what you want to be. What a popular historian can do is show you what was in a way that makes you appreciate what these people accomplished. And we need more of that. Um, 
one of the great disappointments of my life was finding out that Stephen Ambrose had engaged in a little plagiarism because if only for undaunted courage and band of brothers, I'd have to rank him among one of the great popular historians ever. Those those two books just just blew me away. And I've read each of the or I've read both of them several times. So just there's good stuff. Um Oh man, I'd also have to give a shout out to, uh, to uh, uh, James Hornfisher, Hornfisher, who just passed away. Yeah, I think last year. Um, I think he was going to be one of the greats. Uh, he wrote the Fleet at Flood Tide, which is one of my favorite World War II Pacific theater history books of all time. Um, we still have Ian Toll, who I think is uh, going to uh, fill that niche that uh, Hornfisher was was carving out for himself. Um, in the second book of Ian Toll's history of the Pacific Campaign, right now, it's a the, the first book was remarkable. The second book is I'm still in the first part on Guadalcanal. It's shaping up great, but we need more popular historians today more than ever. We're watching our history, our our statues, everything being torn down, and we need these popular historians to tell the stories, to to explain the people that so many others would rather that we never knew. Bill Whittle, I, I thought it was an interesting aspect of McCullough's work that he reportedly said that um, the reason why he picked characters that he admired was because when you're writing a biography of someone, it's almost like having a roommate. And he would rather spend the many long hours that it took with a roommate that he liked than one that he didn't like. Um, and then once he was asked back in um, 2001, I think it was, he was interviewed by the Associated Press. And uh, to the criticism that he was too soft on some of his heroes, he said, quote, some people not only want their leaders to have feet of clay, but to be all clay. Uh, Bill, is there a tendency for us to uh, want to tear down people of the past to aggrandize ourselves? Or what do you think motivates this instinct that we have to say, hey, don't tell me all the good stuff about John Adams if you're not going to throw all the dirt in there as well? The answer to this is encapsulate. I don't have to, all you have to do is just look at the term. Critical theory is the point of the realm today. Critical theory, you don't have to, you don't have to elaborate on it. Critical theory is the theory of being critical. And that's what it's about. It's predicated on the idea of destroying everything. That there is nothing, certainly nothing in the, in the dominant culture that is worth saving or worth celebrating. And so therefore, it is your obligation to find the hidden uh, peccadilloes or, or whatever else he might have done and, and drag those out and put them in the forefront, minimize the actual accomplishments. This is the goal of critical theory and, and, and the goal of critical theory is to is to destroy the 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 ethos of a country, to destroy the logos of the country, the essence of it. Just keep attacking it until it's done. So you hear about all of these weaknesses that these great people had, as if that somehow makes them less great. I've never bought that. In fact, I've often found that the, the, when when you find out the weaknesses that people had, make it even more interesting. I think uh, Ulysses Grant's uh, drinking problem made him a far far more interesting. And, and at the end of it. A much better man than he would have been if he didn't have a drinking problem. He was a guy who had a drinking problem and won the damn war anyway, in spite of his drinking problem. And to me, that's a that's a larger uh, achievement. Now, as far as McCullough goes, um, history writing, I think, is the most difficult form of writing there is, because more than any other genre, as a writer, 
when you are writing history, you really are walking that fine line between a rock and a hard place. If you go too far into the factual background of it, it's just dry as toast and, and it's just simply a recitation of events and nobody gives a damn. If you go too far into the narrative aspect of it, you start penciling in and sketching in things that maybe didn't happen in order to make your story more compelling. You start adding things that seem dramatic or maybe going to rearrange the order a little bit thing, and that damages the history. A superb historian is able to be true to facts and remain true to the facts and not invent anything but take the historical material and present it in such a way that it is absolutely fascinating. That is storytelling. That's why uh, my favorite historian, Shelby Foote, uh, wrote the Civil War trilogy, and he's called it the Civil War, a narrative. It's a story of the Civil War. It's, this, is, this, is the, this is how the Civil War was told when it was being fought. Which brings me back to, uh, to uh, another thing about David McCollum that I thought was so remarkable about him, and that was his voice. Uh, yeah. the, the Civil War documentary that Ken Burns did is what put the hook of history into the end, it's, and it's never gone away. David McCullough was the was the narrator for that. Now, obviously, if you want to, this is what really made Ken Burns a star. If you want a narrator for the Civil War, you want somebody you know with the, with the cred. So he's got David McCullough, who's a historian, so he, he gets a credibility. That's not why he chose David McCullough as a narrator. He chose McCullough as a narrator because just as he was a, a writer who was capable of walking that incredibly fine line between fact and emotion, as the narrator of the Civil War, his voice wrote that exact same knife edge of being just factual enough so that it had the authority of narration and emotional enough so that you could feel the pathos of what the narration was actually saying. That is not an easy thing to do, and that is not an easy place to be. And to be able to do it uh, as a writer is one thing. To be able to do it as a performer is something else. Hemingway said, uh, he said this of Mark Twain, Mark Twain did a great deal of lecturing in public performance. Hemingway said he thought the idea that a writer who could actually perform was such a remarkable contradiction in terms that he simply couldn't imagine it. Uh, but... but um, but Mark Twain uh, pulled it off, and, and David McCullough did too. And whenever I think about my love for history, it began with the Civil War, and it began with with David McCullough's voice telling the story of Wilbur McLean, who who's, who who had a house on 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 Bull Run Battlefield, and then when the war got too hot, he retired to a quiet, sleepy little out of the way town called um, Appomattox. We bought a courthouse, and David McCullum finishes the first paragraph by saying, you could also say that the Civil War began in, in, in Wilbur McLean's front yard, and it ended in his parlor, and that was it for me. Wow. From that point on, I was... Oh, that's um, good. Hey, uh, Scott, can I throw something in real real, real quick here? Bill, you mentioned sure. uh, narrators. I think one of the, the best documentary historical series I've ever seen is the BBC's The World at War from uh, from the early 70s, mid-70s. And they had Laurence Olivier narrate that program. And he's just devastating in the exact same way you just described in, uh, in Ken Burns' Civil War. So if you've never seen The World at War, uh, the, the Blu-ray transfer is remarkable. Go to Amazon, pick it up. It's amazing. 
And just to contrast that, if you listen to another great narrator, writer, uh, Attenborough. Oh, Attenborough's yeah. no match. He's no match. He's no match because Attenborough, when Attenborough is narrating, he's playing Attenborough. You can just hear it, you know? And 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 um and and he didn't have to do that. I think few things are as difficult as saying true things in a way that make them sound true. And that may seem like a strange thing to say, but try it sometime. Turn on a tape recorder and just try to narrate something that you know to be true and then play it back and to some friends and see if they think that it sounds like it's true. <laughs> so that that is quite a challenge. Um, I have uh, read a number of David McCullough's books and listened to some others. Uh, and just to give you the idea of the kind of historian he is, I have a great interest in biographies. Um, so I've read, you know, biographies of John Adams and George Washington and uh, Alexander Hamilton and uh, Adolf Hitler and Winston Churchill and uh, Ronald Reagan and many, many, many others. Um, that is easy for me to get interested in. Those are people. People are inherently interesting. What amazes me is that I was able to stay engaged through an entire history that David McCullough wrote about the building of a bridge a subject about which I know nothing, in a city about which I really care little. <laughs> but he managed to make the building of the Brooklyn Bridge into such a compelling narrative that even this day, I sometimes get choked up when I think about certain passages in that book and being able to convey the reality. I, I, I had the sense that I was there. I had the sense that I, I was observing the people who were doing the work and dealing with the challenges that they were dealing with. Um, and if you've not yet enjoyed the Great Bridge, either on audio or or just to read it in the text, um, I highly recommend it. And and frankly, anything else that David McCullough uh, wrote. The most recent books I've listened to on his, I drive back and forth to work, and so I listen to a lot on, while I'm driving, are the Wright Brothers, as well as the Pioneers, both of which were extraordinary, excellent books. Uh, the Wright Brothers in particular, I found fascinating. Um, there is... Uh, obviously, when you're dealing with the subject of human beings, you're dealing with the inherent flaws of human beings. And there are many ways you can handle that. The way David McCullough chose to handle it was not by ignoring their flaws, but also not by dwelling on them. I think he had a sense that if any of us were to pass away and let people just rummage through our lives for whatever they could find, looking at all our papers and effects, uh, talking to everybody who knew us, seeing contemporaneous accounts of our behavior, um, that a story could be written that makes each one of us seem pretty unsavory, uh, even despicable. But he understood that in order to advance civilization, those aren't the examples we need to hold up in front of people. If you want to advance a better country, a better world, you need to hold up the examples that are of men at their better moments. And uh, it's not a rose-colored glasses view of John Adams or, or Truman or Roosevelt or any of the other subjects of, of McCullough's historical work. But it is an acknowledgement 
that there was greatness on this earth in flashes of brilliance and that we need to be reminded of that. We need to know that there are people who, despite their flaws, and, and you know, Bill was right pointing out uh, Ulysses Grant. I read Chernow's biography of Grant and you, you're aware of his flaws, but at the end, oh my goodness, I wept like a baby when he died. <laughs> um, I just thought, how can the world lose this great man. Um, and that's that's the kind of way you need to have your soul stirred, not just so that you have an accurate understanding of people who live before you, but so that you understand that you are such a creature, that despite your flaws and your fallibility and the mistakes that you've made in the past, there is greatness in you. You are able to rise. You can do things in a way that nobody else can do. And when you read a great biography, such as the ones that McCullough has written, it makes you want to do great things. And I think that that is a legacy worth talking about. And it's uh, something that is worth uh, recording. And I can't wait to read whoever writes the biography of David McCullough. I hope he will take the approach that McCullough took in generosity to so many others. For Stephen Green and Bill Whittle, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible. 